You are listening to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. Today's podcast will be about my journey from the Innocence Project of Florida to this podcast, which began around October of 2019. In December of 2009, I read an article in my local Sarasota, Florida paper about a man who had just been exonerated from prison after 35 years. He was innocent. His name is Jamie Bain. He's from Tampa. His tragic story moved me to tears. I needed to help in any way I could. So I reached out to Seth Miller, executive director of the project. Innocence Project of Florida is in Tallahassee, a seven hour trip from Sarasota. Seth said I should think of ways to raise money for the nonprofit, which works for all of its clients free of charge, and to think about raising awareness. To that end, I began to find places to speak about the issue of wrongful conviction and charge a small honorarium, which went to IPF. In 2013, I was asked to join the board of directors. My term ended in 2019. One day, I spoke to a large group of business people and was approached by the founder and the producer of Society Bites Radio. They said, we have big plans for you. Their plan was for me to create my own podcast, something I knew nothing about. Here we are at the start of my third year on the air. I thought it might be fun to look back at where we've been and what's up ahead in 2022. My hope for my listeners is that they learn as much as possible about wrongful incarceration and about our criminal justice system from the point of view of men and women who were convicted of crimes they did not commit, from attorneys who fought for them in court, from directors of innocence projects, from authors who write about this topic, from family members who are sentenced to when a loved one is locked up. When our freedom is taken away, it is a horrendous miscarriage of justice. Often there is no one who pays a price for that mistake but the accused. There is little accountability from prosecutors, police, judges. On this day, the National Registry of Exonerations counts 2,884 men and women who have been deemed innocent. Many will never get an apology or a dime from their city or state in compensation for the decades they lost. If you think about it, when the wrong man or woman is in prison, the offender is free. Sometimes that offender is never found. Have we learned anything from the thousands of errors made? Do we do things differently now? There are requirements in various cities where a suspect is videotaped during an interrogation. This practice should be standard across the board. It's more accurate now to be able to determine if an eyewitness was present during the commission of a crime, thanks to cell phones and their ability to pinpoint locations. 
When a victim must pick out a suspect from a lineup, the detective sitting with him or her should not have any knowledge of who the suspect might be. And that practice is sometimes uh, done across the country. Not entirely though. Speaking of errors in our justice system, we have learned from mistakes made in other areas of our lives. Remember what occurred with Tylenol in 1982, someone put potassium cyanide into the capsules and closed the bottles. Seven people died almost instantly. The suspect was never found. Johnson & Johnson, makers of Tylenol, recalled 11 million bottles immediately. And in just two months time, all bottles went back on the shelves with tamper-proof tops. J&J &J put safety over profit. What baffles me and infuriates me is that we are keenly aware of how mistakes occur in our justice system and why innocent people end up in prison. Why are we not working harder to address wrongful conviction at its source? There are estimates that 5 to 10% of the 2.3 million people in prison are innocent. That is a huge number, roughly 115,000 to 230,000. So when I recorded my very first podcast, my first guest was Kate Germond, Executive Director of Centurion Ministries located in Princeton, New Jersey. My most recent guests were from Centurion, Paul Castellero, legal director, and Larry Walker, who spent 38 years in prison as an innocent man and his daughter, Sharina. He was given his freedom thanks to Centurion. Centurion was and is the first innocence organization in the world, founded by Jim McCloskey in 1983. About nine years later, Barry Sheck and Peter Neufeld opened the Innocence Project in New York. There are about 70 more projects all across our nation and the world. Among the exonerees I interviewed was Nate Myers from Florida who spent 43 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. To quote Barry Sheck from his 2001 book, Actual Innocence, quote, what matters most is not how people who are innocent got out of jail, but how they got into it. He goes on to say, now the fabric of false guilt is laid bare and the same vivid threads bind a wealthy Oklahoma businessman and a Maryland fisherman. Sometimes eyewitnesses make mistakes. Snitches tell lies. Confessions are coerced or fabricated. Racism trumps the truth. Lab tests are rigged. Defense lawyers sleep. Prosecutors lie. Sheck quotes Justice Learned Hand <clears throat> from back in 1923. Our procedure has always been haunted by the ghost of the innocent man convicted. It is an unreal dream. 
Nate Myers was fortunate to be living in a state which has a compensation law on the books, but it is far from a perfect statute. If you had a prior felony before you were wrongfully incarcerated in the state of Florida, you are not entitled to any compensation for the years that you lost. Nate's uncle was also wrongfully charged and in prison, but he had a prior felony and he received no compensation for his 43 years in prison. Deeply tragic and unfair. We also met Dean McKee, another exoneree from Florida, <clears throat> who was just 16 at the time of his incarceration. Innocence Project of Florida exonerated him 30 years later. They also freed Derek Williams from Bradenton, Florida, who was our guest back in 2020. Derek spent 18 years behind bars. There's a unique group of exonerees that received compensation from their states, Texas, Indiana, New York, who then decided to create a foundation to help others who had been wrongfully convicted. Christine Bunch started Justice for Just Us. Richard Miles founded Miles of Freedom, and he became a CNN hero. Jeffrey Deskovic founded the Jeffrey Deskovic Foundation. Jen Reach is working on creating a nonprofit to help those that are innocent and need legal help. We met them all. We learned about other nonprofits, such as After Innocence, founded by John Eldon, a group reaching out all over the nation to exonerees needing guidance and all kinds of help navigating a strange new world. And Project 180 in Sarasota, Florida, has purchased three homes for men coming out of prison who weren't innocent, but are still dealing with addiction issues and need a safe place to live. We met some authors who write about wrongful conviction, both from a fictional and nonfiction perspective. Jim McCloskey told us about his journey from becoming a minister to the founder of Centurion in his book, When Truth is All You Have. Jessica Blank and her husband, Eric Jensen, wrote The Exonerated back in 2000, a play that has been performed a few hundred times all over the world. It's about seven people taken off death row and exonerated. They are still writing plays, their most recent about the first responders to the pandemic. Gia Wirtz spoke to us about her short film, which featured Jeffrey Deskovic. She has completed a full length film about him. The Quattrone Center for the Fair Administration of Justice at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia is a research group formed to prevent errors in our criminal justice system by analyzing data and looking for patterns in wrongful conviction and other related areas. We were fortunate to interview the associate dean of the law school along with three of his colleagues. 
by focusing on patterns with regard to wrongful incarceration or conviction, it is hoped we can one day put an end to this miscarriage of justice. A friend of mine was a guest last year where she told us about POPs, a club for high school students. POPs stands for pain of the prison system. Amy Friedman started this club so that high school kids could feel safe sharing the fact that they had a family member in prison. Amy encouraged the students to write about their feelings and she published an anthology beginning in 2014, which also included beautiful artwork. Each year since 2014, Pops has come out with a new anthology. And what I'd like to do is read just one sample from the anthology. It's called Room 120, written by Karina Cuevas. Room 120. Digging deep inside, I find my heart that speaks, that pumps blood through my veins. I'm breathing and living, yet I feel locked up like an isolated island. I speak, yet I'm unheard. I walk and I'm not seen. My heart's locked in a box. Only I contain the keys, keys that don't appear. Inside are dreams and visions, words and expressions that need to be free, keys which can't be found anywhere. Four walls surround me. I see tables. I enter the room, pops the club. I came only to help out. I came to eat watermelon, cookies, chips, sandwiches. Yet within these walls, I found my key. That isolated island became an island filled with peers. I found my passion for writing, for reading, not only knowing how to solve a quadratic equation, but having an interest in English. I found my inner self, the way of expressing myself through poems. I found my key. I found my voice in room 120 and a club called Pops. So as we look ahead to 2022, what do I have lined up? We will speak to two authors who have written new books. The first is Andrea Elliott who is the author of Invisible Child. This book is centered around a family struggling with homelessness, which is often a gateway to prison. The family lives in a shelter in Brooklyn, New York. Eight children, two parents in one room. Andrea Elliott is a Pulitzer Prize winning author. Her book is nonfiction. The other author I'll be interviewing is Kristen Henning, author of The Rage of Innocence, a book focusing on our juvenile justice system. Its subtitle is How America Criminalizes Black Youth. The author is a Bloom Professor of Law and Director of the Juvenile Justice Clinic an initiative at Georgetown University Law Center in Washington, D.C. 
She has been representing children accused of crime in the D.C. area for 25 years. Speaking of children caught in the justice system, I'll be speaking to staff members at the Campaign for the Fair Sentencing of Youth, also in Washington. My listeners may recall that Sarah Cruzan was my guest a few months ago. The campaign was a key player in her release. She was given life without parole at the age of 16 for killing the man who trafficked her. She served 19 years and has been free for eight years. We will meet more women exonerees in 2022, as well as a young woman incarcerated at the young age of 14. Someone my husband and I have taken under our wing since we met her way back in 2009. She was given a 50-year sentence with no chance of parole until she was 64. Thanks to a very dedicated legal team and changes in laws with regard to sentencing juveniles, she was released in August after doing 25 years. In her case, she was guilty of felony murder. Her story is both heartbreaking and uplifting. She's a prize-winning writer, a published author, someone who proves you can turn your life around if you choose to do so. I can't wait to have her on my podcast. Her name is Robin Ledbetter. Thanks to the best-selling author, Wally Lamb, who wrote, She's Come Undone, and I Know This Much Is True, the women at Robin's Connecticut prison were part of a writing workshop that Wally Lamb created. He gave the women his time and expertise for over 16 years, declaring at the very beginning he didn't really have time to come back, but he did. He then published two books with the women. The first one, Couldn't Keep It to Myself, and I'll Fly Away. The books have poems and stories written by the women at York Correctional Institution in Niantic, Connecticut. That was my introduction to Robin. Her work is in the second book. And we will pick up her story and our story when she is my guest next year. We often neglect to focus on a victim of wrongful conviction. By that, I mean someone like Jennifer Thompson. She mistakenly accused Ronald Cotton of raping her back in 1984. She was certain, 100% certain, she had identified the right offender, but she was wrong. Cotton spent 11 years in prison, having been sentenced to life. Jennifer spoke to us over a year ago about her new nonprofit called Healing Justice. Though she and Ronald have become close friends and speak all over the country about witness misidentification, um, they wrote Picking Cotton together 
she wanted to find a way to help victims like her and Cotton, because he was a victim too, to heal from the harm done by a wrongful conviction. Her organization holds healing retreats for three days and two nights. And Jennifer talks a little bit here about what healing justice is. And I, I wanted to read you her words. Using restorative justice principles, we seek to create individual and collective healing for all those harmed by wrongful convictions, the original crime victims, their families, the exonerated and their families, jurors, law enforcement, attorneys, and judges. Our cornerstone program is our healing retreats where people impacted by wrongful conviction convene for three days and two nights to share their experiences, to bond over similar traumas and provide support and understanding to one another. We use restorative justice circles to create a safe, nurturing environment. And we do therapeutic activities to help people recover emotionally from the traumas they've suffered. Past participants help to co-facilitate the retreats and our social work staff provides emotional support as needed. We currently offer four retreats a year at no cost to the participants. Since January, 2016, we've hosted 10 retreats with participants from all around the country. The feedback from these retreats has been amazing. Another program is our listening sessions, which give people an opportunity to share their lived experiences with others and inspire reforms. The listeners, in quotes, are typically criminal justice officials and policymakers. The organization relies on these sessions to learn from those we serve, better understand their needs, and directly involve them in the creation of our programs and resources. Healing Justice is the only national nonprofit that works with all folks harmed by wrongful convictions. What makes us so unique is the bringing together of shared and similar experiences to engage in both individual and collective healing. Healing across the entire community harmed by these cases and healing the justice system itself. Hence the name, Healing Justice. Another thing that makes Healing Justice unique is that all our work is led by people who have survived or been impacted by a wrongful conviction. We believe in learning from and creating programs and resources by people who have survived and lived through a wrongful conviction. Thanks for joining me today as we look at where we've been and where we're going in 2022. I do appreciate all my listeners. Thanks for being with me today. Thanks for listening to my podcast today. You've been listening to Pursuing Justice on Society Bites Radio. And I'm your host, Harriet.